Welcome to Follow the Data. I'm your host, Katherine Oliver. More than ever, high school students need access to high-quality job training opportunities, and businesses are eagerly looking to hire qualified talent for mid-level positions that require more than a high school diploma, but less than a four-year college degree. With this in mind, Bloomberg Philanthropies has committed an additional $25 million to support career and technical education programs in nine U.S. cities and across two states. This commitment highlights our founder, Mike Bloomberg's belief that it's critical for states, cities, local businesses and schools to grow career programs and pathways for students not heading to four-year college to gain greater economic mobility. More than 15,000 high school students have benefited from Bloomberg Philanthropy's support of career and technical education programs since 2016. And this new investment brings our support of these programs to $90 million. In this episode, Jenny Sharfstein Kane of our education team talks with Julia Baez, CEO of Baltimore's Promise, a citywide collaborative which supports the health and education of Baltimore City youth from cradle to career. Julia tells us more about the organization's Grads to Careers initiative, which focuses on helping Baltimore City public school graduates who aren't immediately bound for college or careers to enter the workforce by offering occupational skills training in fields like tech, healthcare, logistics, and transportation. Jenny also talks with Randall Woodfin, the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama, to discuss how internships and apprenticeships will help shape the employment landscape in his city and the challenges entry-level workers are facing as a result of the pandemic. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jenny Sharfstein-Kane. I oversee our career and technical education efforts at Bloomberg Philanthropies, and I'm excited to be here today with Julia Baez, who runs Baltimore's Promise, our partner in the Grads to Careers Education Program, which we fund as part of our career and technical education portfolio. So Julia, I just want to give you a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Grads to Careers Program. Thank you, Jenny. Really great to be here with you today. I'm the Chief Executive Officer with Baltimore's Promise. I've been there almost five years. I'm a Baltimore native, so I feel super lucky to get to work on behalf of Baltimore each day. Our organization focuses on improving outcomes for young people from cradle to career. And so Grads to Careers is our signature initiative, really focused on young adults and how we get them into workforce. Can you explain how the program works, like a snapshot into how a young person would experience entering Grads to Careers? Yeah, sure. So Grads to Careers is set up on the idea that, you know, young people are making a choice after high school. You can choose to go to college or you can head to career. And in Baltimore, like many other places, that, you know, path to career was very murky. We, we spend a lot of time on sort of college advising and thinking about college selection, but there wasn't really an experience for a senior in high school who wanted to think about, you know, what career options existed for them after high school. And so what happens now for a student is that we have recruitment fairs and events where training staff, guidance counselors are aware of grads to careers. And so in addition to getting information around college options and choices, if that's you know sort of where you wanna go, and if you're able to make that step after high school, 
you also are getting a chance to see like, what would it be like to be a surveyor? Or how would I enter the healthcare system? And so there's more hands-on sort of exploratory recruitment conversations happening around career pathways. Providers in Baltimore who run sort of certification and credentialing programs are actually coming into schools prior to the pandemic, uh, now virtually coming into school classrooms to, to make connections that didn't exist before for young people in that way. So you, you express interest, you're like, this is kind of cool. You put an interest form in, you select a pathway that you're interested in, whether that's construction or healthcare, or, you know, IT tech. And then you are, you take a set of sort of entry exams to see what you're eligible for. And then we connect you with those providers. You do an interview, you get a sense of like, is this the right place for me? How am I feeling? And then ultimately you enroll in a program that allows you to complete industry recognized certification or credential on the path that you're interested in being employed in. And then we hope at that point, you are connected to a job in Baltimore in the region that is connected to that career pathway. So that's, that's the experience young people have. We wrap around them with a lot of support. Mental health providers are connected to each of our programs to make sure that young people have access to those resources, as well as other sort of academic support. That's great. Research from Baltimore's Promise shows that approximately 26% of Baltimore City Public School graduates become disconnected, meaning that they don't go directly into a job or pursue any kind of post-secondary education or training. And I'm wondering, first, if you could just tell me a little bit about how COVID and the pandemic have affected those numbers. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't made it better. <laughs> so I think we were thankful as an organization that ahead of the pandemic, we had done a lot of work to really understand the pathway young people were taking in Baltimore. And, you know, we were already seeing the impact of generations of disinvestment in our public education system and what was happening in terms of median incomes being about $15,000 six years after graduation. And the pandemic has exacerbated all of those challenges we were seeing before in terms of our young people being able to access opportunity in our city. And on a national level, we know less folks are less, you know, less students are enrolling in college. We're seeing a dip in the two-year public institutions, which for young people in Baltimore, that community college step was a critical place for them to go. And we're already seeing disconnection there. And what we're also seeing in the pandemic is the impact it's having on young women and especially young families. And we were already looking at the grads to careers data and seeing some things we wanted to pay attention to as it related to black women, especially black women who are pregnant and parenting. And so I think we know like the, the impact on the childcare community, the fact that women are, are not connecting as much with college, all of that we're paying attention to locally. And it doesn't, doesn't make us feel great about what we're gonna see in the data as we update some of those results that drove the initial phase of grads to careers. But I think on the bright side, we feel like because we've been doing the work for the past couple of years, we're positioned with our partners in the public school system and the public workforce system to really respond to what is going to be incredibly challenging over the next many years as we recover together from the pandemic. 
Great. And can you talk a little bit about the initial impacts of the program pre-COVID, sort of what we learned in um, the initial phases? Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the biggest questions we had, like our city had was, we knew there was data around adults in the workforce system. And there was a question of like, could young people 18 to 21 really be competitive in that space? And would they be able to complete the programs at the same rate that older adults were able to do so? And what we saw in the first few years was like overwhelmingly, yes, connecting young people to the right program, providing the right set of supports, making sure that we were providing training to those providers. Young people were completing at the same rates as adults, if not higher rates. We were seeing great entry wages. We were seeing completions that were sort of rivaling recent citywide data for adults. So that was great. And that really answered the first question, like, if we created this opportunity and connection, you know, would young people take advantage of it? I think the other thing that was big for Baltimore was realizing that like young adults aren't adults. There was a lot to learn that the adult workforce system wasn't necessarily set up to serve a population that was coming right out of high school. And if we think about this idea of college and career, right? Like I I went to college, I didn't have to pick my major until I was a sophomore. So how do we have time to innovate and change that? So we did a lot of youth development training. We connected partners who had expertise in the after school space or the college career CTE space during high school. Folks who, you know, were sort of bridging that gap like an urban alliance between high school and workforce to provide trainings to providers. We centered young people in decision-making and leadership of the initiative so that their voice and their experience was really driving the iterative change that we needed to make as we went through the work. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Both that surprisingly and unsurprisingly that young people can do these training and jobs right out of high school, but do need those supports to um, make sure that's a reality. So that makes a lot of sense. So you spoke about the public agencies, and I think that that is interesting because this is sort of an innovative partnership, both between Baltimore's Promise, which is a nonprofit, but also between the city school system and the mayor's office of employment development. So how do you coordinate amongst those parties? Like what is the secret sauce to making sure that program is effective when you have all these different partners? Yeah. Our goal is that this is sustainable work that lives in our public systems, right? Baltimore's promise is here because it's easier sometimes for nonprofits to innovate, to take on sort of this risk capital. And so there was a need to prove, as we just said, like, could young people compete? Could the, would the data show that this was a smart investment for either public or private dollars? And so Baltimore's promise being able to create that proof of concept with the support of the public systems really leading to make sure that it was embedded in the operations of the school day and that it was part of the infrastructure of MOED. It allowed us to show some success, you know, change things, make sure we were like getting it right, the right fit for the system's partners. And then over time, those public systems were able to begin shifting public funding 
to take on where private dollars initially invested in the first few years. So, you know, having a partner that can, you know, prove with the private funding that allows public systems to sort of relieve some of that stress of innovation and risk, which is harder to do with, you know, federal restrictions and state restrictions, but then shift money over time to something that better serves their population. I think it mutually meets our goals. Yeah, you made a lot of really great points in that response. I mean, one thing that really stands out is the value of an intermediary, which I think is something that we've learned through a lot of our career and technical education programs, the ability to innovate, the ability to take in private money and incent public mm-hmm. entities to join in and then take on some of those um, tasks once the model has been proven or at least has shown some success. We've done that in a lot of other places. And I think you guys have done that in a really great and innovative way in Baltimore. I think it might be helpful to for you to explain like what are the jobs that the young yeah. people are getting? Like what specifically is a job that is growing in Baltimore that a young person could get after completing a training or credentialing program without for your BA or associates? Yeah, that's a great question. So for Baltimore and Maryland, our one of our biggest employment pathways is healthcare. And so what we've done and we continue to do and, and our partners at the, the mayor's office are, are leading this is looking at sort of what are the high growth sectors for the community and in those high growth sectors, how many positions to your point can you actually get that or put you on a path to a sustainable wage and don't require a college degree. And so we focus IT tech, healthcare, logistics and transportation and construction really showed up as the, the places that we should sort of deeply invest in in terms of the opportunities. So, you know, in Baltimore, we're building new school buildings. Our state passed a, a bond to make sure that we've updated the buildings. We have young people who have gone through construction training programs that are now working on building school buildings. We have folks who are working as surveyors in our community. I was like, I'm not really sure what a surveyor is, but now I know it's like those triangle like stands on the side of the road, checking out everything. I'm like, this is great. And so they got to use a drone. This is one of like the hands-on activities in the school that they love. Healthcare, there's a lot of pathways that show up in healthcare for us. So we have certified nursing assistants, we have patient care techs, we have phlebotomists. I now ask everyone who takes my blood or my kids' blood, I'm like, where, what, what program did you go through? <laughs> Just to see, you know, where are the connections? I've run yes. into a few graduates. And also lab tech. So folks who are, and, and this is a field that has grown tremendously in the past two years with the pandemic, but, and that's also been a, where we've seen some of the highest wages is, is in the lab technician work. So that's an example of, of the jobs that we're seeing in terms of the training and that young people are getting after completion. Yeah. And I think that those are representative of the types of jobs that um, we see around the country that mm-hmm. are even more readily available in this COVID yeah. period. Like you said, yeah. like a lab technician, yeah. um, lots of jobs in healthcare, you know, and I think construction infrastructure will continue to grow as mm-hmm. funds flow. Mm-hmm. So I think these are all jobs that are open and are great for young people who yeah. want to pursue them. So that's yeah. great. So this is probably the most important question or discussion that we've had, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the young people who have participated in the program and what did they 
sort of say about it or think about it and, you know, maybe share a success story or two? Sure. So I think, you know, this is the part, the job that's best, right, is working with and connecting with the young people who who are really excited about these opportunities. And And I think that's the first thing I'll say is what we've heard a lot of is being seen, right? That this doesn't feel like oh, I I have to tell them I'm going to college because if I don't, I'm in trouble. It's like, no, I can say maybe I'm not ready for college yet, but this is a step I really want to take. And it feels like a choice and a step and an empowered decision as opposed to being sort of tracked or moved, you know, in one direction or the other for whatever reason. And so I think for us, that has been awesome feedback from young people. The other piece that we've heard a lot of is the importance of relationship, just how important it's been for them to have instructors, whether it's in the career training program or in the, you know, additional academic support, folks who just deeply care and and want them to be successful. And so the, the space that's being built feels welcoming and feels like they want to be there, right? And then success stories, you know, there luckily there are a good number of them. Young people are connecting and getting jobs. What I think is, you know, always a measure for me on success is like when young people start recruiting other young people when they become yeah, the own like messengers. And so, you know, we have a young man who had gone through our lab tech program was reconnecting with us in all sorts of ways, became our social media like outreach manager without being our social media outreach manager. And we were we had to set up a referral program. We were like, we need to figure out how to like actually resource young people who are doing this. But you know, I think like that moment of like, oh, okay, like they, they young people themselves saw the benefit in this network. A group of, of alumni is just currently helped the employment system interview um, the next leader of their director of their youth services bureau. So I think it's like, it, it's the success stories in the, in the field of work, which are amazing. And, and we're hearing great things. I ran into one of our surveyors, like, you know, pre-pandemic and it was like just so good to hear about everything that they're doing but also how they're seeing this as an opportunity to show up to sort of change this for the long term for Baltimore and for other young people is is super exciting for us. That's great and I think you really touched on something that we really care about which is just that young people do not feel like this is a tracked you know yeah, program, but this is just another option and opportunity um, yeah. for them that, that's very viable. I think that's all the time we have for today, but we really appreciate your time and sharing all the great work that you're doing at Baltimore's Promise and with Grads to Careers. And we look forward to hearing future updates ahead. Yeah, thank you so much. I really I couldn't thank you all enough. Bloomberg has been just like such a huge partner in this work. And I just want to shout out the school system and our employment system and our partners there who it's been a journey, but it's just so great that we're all showing up in this way for young people in Baltimore. In order to get a sense of how access to career and technical education programs are shaping employment, I sat down with Randall Woodfin, the mayor of Birmingham, Alabama. I'm very excited today to be here with Mayor Randall Woodfin about the new program that we're investing in in Birmingham to help young people to access high quality jobs. So thank you, Mayor, for joining us today. 
Hey, I'm so happy to be with you all. We're excited to partner with you. Can you tell us a little bit about how young people in your community are faring right now, um, both you know pre and sort of in the middle of COVID, and why you think pursuing a project around internship and apprenticeship opportunities is so important? Yeah, so the short answer is I think our students pre-COVID were doing the best they could with the limited resources they had. Their mom already working, possibly not one, but two jobs with them being responsible for not only their education, but taking care and assisting in with their little brother, little sister. And so there was already an impact or lack of resources at home or not enough wraparound services that existed outside of home. So for me, you know, as, a, as currently as a mayor, but also as a former school board member, you know, I've spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time thinking about how our young people are doing during this time. And obviously what we've seen students across different educational levels all have struggled with their academic performance. But clearly when the coronavirus hit, I think it unveiled so much more. So, you know, educationally, we've seen students question academic pathways that felt more certain before the pandemic. One example would be and even my niece, she, she was enrolled in community college prior to the coronavirus, but we've seen a 30% decrease since the coronavirus, just in our two-year community college system. And when I consider that from a financial lens, we've had families, again, that are struggling prior to the pandemic. And the pandemic has only exasperated those difficulties. Uh, we've had parents that have been laid off. Um, that's just not a Birmingham thing, right? That's in New York and all over, all over America and the, and the globe, for that sake. Um, they've dealt with illnesses that have reduced work hours, that's caused them to leave their jobs, as well as sometimes, you know, the responsibility that's shifted to the student, that same student that was already taking care of that little brother, little sister. So the bottom line is uh, the challenges have been hard. And I think giving our students more opportunities around internships and apprenticeships allows them more economic mobility. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about how Birmingham's economy is changing and how you think that internships and apprenticeships will help shape sort of the employment landscape in the region? I think it's important that we prepare our young people for the knowledge-based economy, jobs and opportunities that exist. I think it's important for our students to know the actual, uh, our economic identity and our economic strengths in our community. And we, the two words I like to use over and over is students need exposure and opportunity. The exposure comes from knowing what exists. The opportunity comes from being able to leave high school early and actually be able to participate in something that they have an interest or love or curiosity in. And so the Birmingham Promise on the apprenticeship side is we're connecting that opportunity to a, a actual knowledge-based economy that currently exists in Birmingham. Everything I've accomplished as mayor has centered around not just Birmingham Promise, but all of the commitments we've been able to do have been through the P3, public-private partnership, and all type of white-collar opportunities. We've been able to offer over nearly 250 internships through multi-year youth apprenticeships for those young people, and we're going to continue to expand that number. We're just getting started. And with Bloomberg's help, we can accelerate our growth as well as the number of students that are able to participate. But that is because we have a willing corporate community, small business community that understands 
Birmingham Promise serves as the bridge between their talent gap as well as our students having that same opportunity and exposure. Yeah. How do you feel that you coordinate efforts both across like the public sector and the school system and the private sector. You spoke a little bit about how Birmingham's Promise has sort of spun off as an intermediary, which we have a lot of other grantees who are sort of the intermediary for the various parties. Do you feel like that's critical to um, the success of a program like this? Well, I would say, here's a short answer, yes. I would would put the word super in front of critical, right? This is super critical. You know, my position as mayor, I believe it is my role I believe it's my duty um, to wear one one of the most important hats I can wear as um, a convener. I have to serve as a convener. I have to connect all the institutions that serve our city residents, include our students. And in my time as leader, what I've done is not only maintain relationships, but, but share a very clear vision, right? I've learned in this position, it is important as mayors that we cast a vision that is crystal clear to all stakeholders within this vision actually have a strategic plan and then within that strategic plan have priorities where, well, we have made it a priority to bring the intangible of hope, exposure and opportunity to make it tangible with the Birmingham promise, connecting whatever gaps we need to our young people connected with our um, business community so when we want, when the business wants to grow, when we want to be aggressive and recruit industry here, the number one, you know, it's tied for first place, which question they ask. Tell us about your current school system. That's for any parent that want to move there. For the employer, tell us about your readiness for our, our workforce for this potential expansion or employer. That's what the Birmingham Promise actually wants to answer. I think a challenge that we see across the country is this sort of college for all, everyone going to college viewpoint. And we know that for some students, that's really just not the right choice or not the right choice immediately, but we have to be able to share the options and opportunities as all equally viable and good opportunities. So it's great to hear that you're sort of normalizing that within the community. Right. What do you think, well, what, can you give me any like stories specifically about like students or high schools, you know, where the apprenticeship or internship has been, you know, particularly popular or able to, to really show some initial success? Well, I'll, I'll start with one of our top employers, Alabama Power. They're in the energy section. And that's one of our focus areas as far as giving our young people opportunity around whether it's on the engineering side, et cetera. And I remember the employer questioning, should this actual, will this opportunity actually work? The employer was so surprised by the the several students that were able to actually work for them that they not only requested more, but they wanted their immediate team members to lean in more on the wraparound piece, not just exposure on the job but success tubes, how to dress, how to communicate, how to problem solve, how to work with others, et cetera. It became something that the company embraced and has run with that not only want more students, but from a company standpoint, they want to lean in more with the students they have. I would say from the student standpoint, Jarvis is what I would define as a superstar. Um, A young man who I think before he left high school, who he knew who he was. 
uh, but through the Birmingham Promise and being allowed to have work exposure through an apprenticeship prior to graduating from high school, it allowed him to believe more in himself. Uh, it, believe, it allowed him to run more towards what his dream and passion is. And now he is succeeding well while in college, a student leader in college, he's come home to be a voice and give back to other students who are thinking about going to college. And he speaks about his, his experience through the Birmingham Promise and his work experience. He represents not only the best of Birmingham City Schools and the best of Birmingham Promise, but I believe he represents the best of the next generation. And, but for the Birmingham Promise, giving him this exposure and opportunity, he would probably be okay. But this has put him on the path to accelerate his growth. And he'll come home and make a difference, whether it's in the position of mayor or any position he chooses. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about the role of private philanthropy, sort of as a mayor, maybe in generally, and maybe specific to this project? But what role do you see private philanthropy playing in your development of programming and initiatives? So and <laughs> you, you strip down what any mayor in, a, in a, any American city is responsible for. And it boiled down to two things, public safety and public infrastructure. And, and we're the only people responsible for providing police and fire and emergency management and paving streets and sidewalks and, and parks and lights. But there's so much more that deals with the quality of life for citizens we serve for in any American city related to education and economic opportunity, related to social justice and racial equity issues and in inclusive growth, and just so much more. I can go on and on what ultimately mayors end up being responsible for, which far exceeds public safety and far exceeds public infrastructure. Well, it turns out there are never enough tax dollars. And so when I study and research successful communities and cities that have grown, the only consistent thing I see is the P3, public-private partnership. And embedded in that public-private partnership is not just you know, municipal tax dollars and business slash corporations, but there's this third leg of what I would call nonprofit slash philanthropic slash faith-based. And when the three of those come together, government, for-profit and philanthropic communities, there is nothing a city can or community can, cannot do, it will be successful. And so I think the philanthropic community always has an outside role in playing and participating in growth in the community as it relates to quality of life. Birmingham is fortunate, even for this, if I apply it, make that applicable to this program on the, on the tuition side, that is 100% driven by the private sector. And we will continue to be aggressive and engaging in our philanthropic community because what I tell them is this, the Birmingham promise attached to the philanthropic community should not equal, you should not view it only through the lens of charity, okay? This is not just about a feel-good moment, let me write a check, I made a difference. This is fully attached to the future of our workforce, our economic development and workforce development. And this is an actual strategy and a plan and you need to support this. And I think when you talk like that to and with our philanthropic community, those checks become bigger and they become longer. Mm -hmm. We can get to a point of actually endowing a program like this. Yeah. And that reminds me of sort of, and I think you touched on this too, the approach of talking to employers, that this is really for the success of the future of your workforce. Right. This is not a philanthropic play. 
This is not a community social responsibility play for a business. This is really about the needs of your future workforce. Is that also how you think about it on the employer side? Absolutely. There's an R, there's an ROI for any employer that chooses to invest in the Birmingham Promise. You cannot look at me and tell me as mayor, mayor, I have a talent shortfall. I have gaps in my ability to be able to hire. I have gaps in my ability to be able to keep people, et cetera. I can go on and on about every complaint you're telling me that's centered around not enough talent or a lack of talent or deficient in talent. The Birmingham promise literally is your blueprint to get you to the point where you need your talent force to be in our community. Yeah. So I think this would be the last question, but what, so what do you envision the future like and how do you see sort of apprenticeship and internship playing a role in the future of Birmingham? I, this is what I envision. I start with my own personal, I'll, I'll start with the personal narrative first. I went to a high school, a county high school. I went to city schools K through eighth, and I went to county schools ninth through twelfth grade. At age fifteen, I had my first job. By age sixteen, which is my junior year of high school, I started co-oping. I was afforded the opportunity to leave high school early, receive high school credit hours for working, and then learn learn a skill that is allow me to get to this job. I know it may sound crazy, but I don't get to be married without actually bagging groceries at age 15 and 16, leaving high school early. What that means is the same opportunity that I was afforded. I want us to not, I want, I not only want our young people to have that opportunity and maximize that opportunity, but I think it should be strengthened. They deserve bigger opportunities. There's nothing wrong with working at a grocery store. But they should be able to go to some of our biggest employers, whether it's UAB around medicine and health, whether it's in the biotech space of Southern Research, whether it's at Alabama Power or Aspire or any other organizations that deal in energy or the financial sector services and, and dealing with um, the big four, any of things of that nature. Our young people at an early age deserve exposure to whatever it is when they lie in bed at night and have a dream or whatever job they have. We want to make down payments on our children's future, but we also want to make it tangible for whatever they're passionate in as well. That's great. We're really excited to partner with you and looking forward to our work ahead in the coming years. And I just want to thank you, Mayor, for taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk to us. I'm happy to do it. Grateful to um, Bloomberg Philanthropy. Shout out to your entire team. So thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Follow the Data. Many thanks to Jenny Sharfstein-Kane, Julia Baez, and Mayor Randall Woodfin for joining us. Kindly note the views of the podcast guests are entirely their own, and Bloomberg Philanthropies hasn't independently verified any of the statements made by this week's podcast guests. To learn more about Baltimore's Promise, follow at Promise on Twitter. You can keep up with Mayor Randall Woodfin by following at Randall Woodfin. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Follow the Data. This episode was created by Amy June, Sarah Washington-Gogan, Devin Alessio, Rachel Nagler, Ivy Lee, Amanda Mack, and Adam Wolfbrandt. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Catherine Oliver. Thanks for listening. <laughs>